our country before we leave out of here today. But right now, let's pray and make sure that our hearts are ready to hear from the Lord. So God, we come to you now, and our desire is for you, Holy Spirit, to stir in our hearts. Just open our spiritual ears and our spiritual eyes. So once again, opportunity for you to pray. God, I just want to hear from you today, Lord, just right at my deepest need. Stir our affections for Jesus as we study this text. God, I pray that you'd help me to be faithful to the text this morning. That Jesus would be glorified in everything we do, everything we say. And right here in this moment, Holy Spirit, fill this room, fill our hearts, fill our minds, and move among us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You ever wish that life has a rewind button? Yeah, I mean, you know, sometimes it's big things, and then sometimes it's just kind of things that aren't really that big of a deal. We um, went on vacation here a few weeks ago, and um, my daughter and her three children, my three grandchildren, we all went on vacation. And while we were on vacation, um, my grandson, Blaine, he wanted to eat some snow crab legs or something. I don't know. So we went to a restaurant in Orange Beach, Alabama, and it was outdoor, okay? So part of it was outdoor and they had a playground for the little two little granddaughters. And so we sat outside and there was these, I don't know if you ever had experience, there's like these little bitty gnat things that bite you like the devil. <laughs> and so we were outside and they were biting us, they're buying the kids. And so, um, you know, Kayla asked for, you know, the, if, if they had like some bug repellent and they said, yeah, you know, we've got some available to everybody. So they brought it out, it's a can of off and gave it to Kayla, and so we sprayed down, and I was out in the playground playing with the little ones and everything, and so we came in, and we sat down to eat, and well, right across from me was the, my three-year-old granddaughter, Macy, and as she was trying to eat, man, these things were just coming right up under her neck, and they were biting her, and so I turned to Kayla, and I said, hey, Kayla, I said, where's that can off? I'm going to spray her again, and she looks around, and she goes, oh, I think it's right there on that table with those people. Now, I looked over there and I thought, wow, well, they sure do have a sense of entitlement. They just took that can and put it on their table and left it there. And so I walked over there to them and four people, three women, one man, and they looked up at me and I walked up there and I grabbed the can off and I said, I'm going to use this for a little bit. And the look on their face was total shock. I mean, they were just like, when one of the women was, she was like, <sighs> I mean, just open her mouth like that and everything. And I, I turned around and I was, and when I said that, the man said, oh, okay, well, we're going to have to charge you for that. And I said, yeah, all right. And I thought he was joking. And then Kayla said, oh, now, is that, your, is that y'all's can of off? And that's when the lady said, yeah, we just went out the car and brought it out here. <laughs> now who has a sense of entitlement? <laughs> man, who is this strange dude that just come and grabbed our private property and said, I'm going to use this now? Yeah, I wish I had a rewind button on that one. And just in case, you know, I mean, I want you guys to know, you know, that, listen, you know, I, I spend, you know, I'm not bragging or anything, but I spend 20, 30 minutes every morning, first thing in prayer. And then, you know, as, as a responsibility for my job, I spend anywhere from maybe five hours to 12 hours a day studying the Word of God. And I did that. So you should feel better about yourself. <laughs> You're welcome for that, by the way. You know, this morning we're going to talk about temptation, sin, and regret. And this morning in the text, I mean, I just, I wish that really you and I were just sitting down at a table and you were across the table from me and I could just show you what the text is teaching us because this will set some of us free. I don't know if you got problems with sin. I don't know if you have problems with regret. 
But if you're living in the flesh, we all have problems with those. It's whether or not we're recognizing it and admitting it. And this morning, the scripture, not this message, the scripture, if we're faithful to it, see what it says, some of you will get set free this morning. So let's give it a little bit of context before we get to our primary text. And just, just remember what James, the power of the Holy Spirit through James, is trying to help us understand. Here's where he starts off. This kind of sets the stage. Think about this. One of the most important figures in Christianity, the half-brother of Jesus, when he starts off writing to the dispersed Christians who are going through all of these trials, all this trouble, here's where he starts. He starts with, he, this must be important on his heart. He says, consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever, not if, but whenever you experience various Trials. Now, we're going to have a little bit of a Greek lesson this morning. Some of y'all love it, and I know some of y'all probably don't like it very much, but for the old you who love it, man, this is your morning. So here's why, because in the Greek, see, when we read this in English, we miss the power of what James is saying, because sometimes the Greek words, you know, and the English words don't match up really good. So I'm going to do a little bit of a Greek lesson this morning to help you see where James is coming from, and this is going to have a direct implication on how we view trials and how we view temptation. So the Greek word right here, this is pronounced parazomos. Now, you might see this right here, and this kind of looks like maybe some of you that know math and everything. That looks like the pi symbol. I think that is what y'all call that, an upper mass. Well, actually in Greek, that is the pi letter. Okay, and if you'll notice, you'll see this. You'll see these first letter parasomo. See, uh, in Greek, the, they have case endings, and these case endings, why Greek is so difficult, they'll, they'll change the case endings, and it totally changes the meaning of the word. So you'll notice as we're going through this, you'll see parasom, and it'll stop pretty much right here, and you'll see it over and over again through this same verse, and you'll see how our translators translated it with different English words, and you'll see why this is important today. So then last week, here's where we went, jumped down to verse 12, and it said, James says, blessed is the one who endures trial. So here's that word. So notice, same time, same word, he used a different letter at the very end, still the same word talking about trials, because when he has stood the test, okay, when he has stood the test, we're going to talk about trials, temptation, and tests this morning. When he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, that God has promised to those who love him. If you remember from last week, the crown of life really is the abundant life. That is that going back to verse 2, that joy he was talking about. You know, he wants you to have this joy in all these trials. So the, the crown of life is you experiencing the abundant life here, now, and then and there. Okay, so we got that. So here we go. We'll get into our primary text this morning. Now, no one... Undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted. Notice the words right here, by God, since God is not tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. So here I'm going to show you each one of these words. And if you'll notice, once again, you'll see that same word. The only one that's a little bit different is you'll see an alpha. That's like an A sound for us, the alpha and the omega. You know, it's the first letter. They put an alpha prefix on this one. The reason they did is because this one changes a little bit in connotation because it's talking about being tempted by evil. Now, you see that big old long English 
verse right there, and this is actually what the verse looks like in Greek. So if you've ever done a concordance study or something, you'll see one Greek word, and you'll see a whole bunch of English words to define that, you know, that one Greek word. Like, what does that mean, you know? So let me just show you something real, really interesting in the text, and this will make sense in a moment, okay? So right here, this Greek text, if you're reading this, we'll read it in Greece right here. Medeus perazamon, what this says right here is no one under a trial. Now notice, we're going to change the word. Greek word doesn't change that much. English changes a lot. Legeto, hate, apotheo. What that says is no one should say that God, from God, he is being tempted. The word changes right here. It looks almost the same in Greek. But if you're a Greek and you're reading this, you'd be like, you would see the impact. And I'll explain in a moment. Then it goes, Hagar Theos, for God, this right here is tempted, is not tempted, Kakon right here, that's evil, is not tempted, and we would say by evil. You don't have by in the Greek, we'd say it's not tempted by evil. And then, De Atos Adena Parasan, what he's saying right here is, and he does not tempt anyone, okay? So, why this is important is because of this. Let me show you. I can illustrate a little better here. All of us are going to face trials. We know that. A trial is a circumstance you find yourself in. It is the event. Now, your attitude is going to determine whether this, this trial is going to be a temptation or it's going to be a test. That's why in Greek, it's the same, it's the same word almost. When they're reading it in Greek, they're getting something we don't get in English. They're like, okay, we see that, you know, these two words are so similar. I mean, it's almost the same exact word, but it's going to be contingent over whether I'm going to have the crown of life, and you'll see in just a moment, or if I'm going to be experiencing death, which we'll talk about that in just a moment, okay? So here's what happens. Let me just go ahead and break it down, and we'll look at the text. Whenever I fall into sin, that's when the trial becomes a temptation. Whenever I'm obedient and I resist the temptation, then it's a test, and the test is going to give me the abundant life. I'm going to be growing in my faith, considering pure joy. But whenever I fail, I fall into temptation, then that's going to bring death. It's not physical death, and it's not spiritual death. We'll talk about what this death is in just a moment. So now, let me continue with our primary text. But each person is tempted when he has drawn away and enticed by his, and I'm going to give you the East Texas version right here, okay? When he is enticed by his desires gone haywire, okay? That's what we would say here. Whenever it's, it's not, because there's not anything wrong with desire. There's something wrong whenever your desire goes haywire. There's not anything wrong with desiring food. You need, I mean, a healthy appetite. That's going to be indicative of a healthy person. But whenever you move from having, you know, eating a healthy amount of food to gluttony, well, that same food that's going to keep you alive can destroy you. You see what I'm saying? So this is what, see, it's, it's like this. I don't know if y'all ever heard this. Y'all probably have. So the Eskimos, I, I mean, I heard this illustration back 20 years ago when I first started preaching. It's an excellent illustration. Maybe you've heard it. You get to hear it again today. God bless you. But Eskimos, when they trap a wolf, they will take a knife and they will put the handle of the knife down in the ice in the snow and they will coat the, the blade of it in blood. Now, I know this sounds gruesome, but why this works and this is so effective is because of the nature of the wolf. Then the wolf comes along, smells the blood, and he starts licking 
the blood off the blade, and his tongue gets cold and numb, and he doesn't realize whenever he gets to the blade, and the blade starts cutting his tongue. I see some of y'all getting sick. I'm sorry. Holy Spirit, I pray help them to calm down right now. And he doesn't realize when he goes from that blood to his own blood. See, because of his nature and his desire that we would say that has gone haywire is now destroying him. Do you realize something? That is what the world and the flesh and the devil is doing to you. It's taking a good desire, a good thing that God has placed before you and is luring you into making that desire go haywire. And that thing that's so beautiful and so wonderful from God now can turn into something that will destroy you. Now, just imagine yourself going into a bookstore today and you see a book that says the title of it is The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. Well, that would be a bestseller. That would be a New York Times bestseller in our world today, wouldn't it? I mean, that, that's just essentially, so this comes back, once again, we're going to go back to about the, the 18th and early 19th century. This dude, he, he may have preached this as a sermon or this may have been a lecture, but here's the summation of the expulsive power. Expulsive, that means that you've got something good that comes in and replaces something bad, okay? So the expulsive power of a new affection. Here's what he said to sum it up. Listen, guys, right now I want to tell you something. If I just lost you, you're fixing to miss one of the most important things you'll hear in church. I, don't, I, don't, I can't overemphasize how important what I'm about to say to you is. This, is. this is not only the crux of this whole message that I'm giving you this morning and what the Bible's telling us, but if you can hear this, if you will not let the flesh and the world and the devil block you out from hearing this, you're about to hear something that can change your life. Here's what he says. The only way to break the hold of a beautiful object on the soul is to show it an object even more beautiful. Some of you have got this reoccurring sin that you keep sinning and you feel condemned about it. You keep coming to God and asking God to forgive you, and then you keep doing it. And you're like, man, I'm a, I'm a terrible Christian. Maybe I'm not a Christian. And the condemnation of the devil. See, the devil, he puts, he puts the lure out there in front of us, and he lures us along with, this is great, this is wonderful. And then when you bite the lure, he jumps around on the back of your head and starts beating you on the back of the head with condemnation. So some of you, you're fighting this same sin. You've been fighting it for years, and you don't know what's wrong with you. This is what your problem is. That thing is too beautiful in your eyes. You are desiring that too much, and you can't fight it. So, great illustration of this. Let's say that you go into a laboratory that has the latest scientific equipment in it, and someone tells you to take a beaker and to... Remove all the air out of that beaker. You go and you get pumps and you start trying to pump all the air out. Well, it's going to be hard. It's not impossible, but it's going to be hard to do that, okay? Because that naturally, by, by its design, is going to be trying to contain something and not the vacuum is going to be kind of tough. So the very simple way to do this doesn't take any scientific equipment at all. All you got to do is walk in with water and pull it, pull it, fill it up with the water. And the water displaces the air. See, some of you, by behavior modification, and you're trying real hard, and you're losing the battle of that temptation, 
because you're trying in your own power to suck that out of your life. And what the Word of God is saying to us is you need it replaced with affections of Jesus. And if your affection for Jesus is your primary affection, it's going to fill you up to the point to where nothing else is going to be vying for yourself. Nothing, you won't be, you won't be having problems with that temptation anymore. See, listen. You guys, some of y'all come to me and you say, David, would you pray for me? And you heard me pray this a million times. You heard me say this a million times. And this is why I do this. Lord, stir their affections for Jesus. Because in 20 years of preaching, studying theology and everything, here's what I've learned. That if my affections for Jesus are hot, then everything else is going to be all right. Circumstances won't. Let me tell you something. Do you know why I walked up to that table? See, I've had time to reflect on why I walked up there and said, I'm going to use this and picked it up. See, today if I went up there, here's why. Because although I was, when we were on vacation, I was spending that time in prayer, that time of spiritual warfare, praying, proclamation of my position in Christ, all that, I wasn't spending five plus hours in Bible study and it affected my attitude. Why did it affect my attitude? Because my affections for Jesus weren't stirring white hot like they normally are. So I'm telling you this much, guys. Listen, whatever your problem is, the Bible's got the solution, and the solution is Jesus. And you've heard that your whole life in church. But what I'm saying is, is that when that affection for Jesus is where it should be, that's going to help you with those problems, that, that reoccurring stuff that's getting to you. Jesus says it right here. He, he illustrates this in a, in a parable. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure buried in the field that a man found and he reburied it. Then in his joy, he goes and sells everything. He takes everything he got isn't valuable anymore. He sells it all and then he goes and buys the field. Do you see that? There's that replacement value. He's like, man, everything else is worth nothing. I'll sell it all to have this treasure. What is the treasure? Relationship, eternal relationship with Jesus forever and ever. Y'all should look a whole lot happier than you're looking right now. I don't know what that is going on, but y'all should look a whole lot happier than that right now. I don't know about y'all, but I'm excited. I hope by the time we get through, y'all will be as excited as I am about this. This is good stuff. Then after desire, continuing on. Gonna look at a three-step process right here. Then after desire has conceived, James is going to use the act of reproduction to help us understand that whenever sin happens, how many times have you said or heard someone say, oh man, I just fell into sin? You don't ever just fall into sin is what James is saying here. There's always some stuff that went before that, some way of thinking, a wrong way of thinking, a wrong way of acting, or something like that. I mean, I could trace it back and say, for me, whenever I looked up there and I saw that can of off, and I thought, man, look at that sense of entitlement. And I walked over there and just abruptly grabbed it off their table. I mean, I could trace that back to my heart wasn't right with Jesus like it normally is. And I got a little bit, I know I need to listen to that sermon about don't be offended. I got a little offended that my granddaughter was getting bit and these adults had that can on their table. But see, what's the problem? I don't know about y'all, but sometimes I totally misunderstand and go barreling in with emotionally driven and mess things up. Then, after desire conceived. Here's that progress. It gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. So what James is saying right here is that some of us have got 
grandbabies, got sin grandbabies. Okay? That there is a generational thing going on. I mean, it starts out, it starts out real small and real innocent. Kind of like a little tiger cub, lion cub. You know? Let's just say that. Okay, so let's just say that you saw this little lion cub and you like cats and you thought, oh, I want to go buy that and take that home. And you take it home and you got it and you name it Fluffy and it's so cute and Fluffy's just right there and Fluffy's in you. You let Fluffy sleep in the bed with you and if your friends come over and they all love Fluffy, he's so cute. Look at the lion cub. You, you should get a Fluffy too, you know? Everybody should have a Fluffy. That's what you're telling them. You're loving Fluffy. But the thing about Fluffy is, is that Fluffy doesn't stay like that. I watched a documentary one time of a, of a person who, who bought a lion cub, and they loved it, and everybody loved it, and everybody was coming to visit him until that lion cub got up to about 200 pounds. Then nobody would come see him. It was tearing up the house. It was taking all of their money to feed that. So then they go, and they build this big, elaborate, steel you know, contraption to hold the lion until he gets up to where he's full-grown. His hormones hit. He's 500-plus pounds. He breaks out of the confinement. And he starts chasing cars down the road trying to attack them. So then the authorities come and they shoot Fluffy. And then they show the person. The person's crying and Fluffy would never hurt anybody. You kidding me? That's a, that's a, listen, Fluffy will turn into a man eater. Okay? See, that's the way it is with sin. Sin comes at first. It's little, oh, it's cute. Everybody else should have one of these. You should be doing it. Have you ever noticed that when people are into sin, they all want you to join them? Hmm? And it's like, you should come, you got to have, a, everybody should be, I want this is, and then one day when Fluffy grows, then nobody, it pushes the family out. It comes between the husband and wife. Nobody, it starts tearing up and destroying the home. And then before you know it, it becomes a threat to everybody around them, the whole culture. That's sin. Oh, this is so beautiful. Let's just say, looking at pornography. That's a beautiful thing. How could that be wrong? That makes me feel so good. Oh, that's going to grow into a man killer, man eater. That will destroy your home. That will take everything from you. you I mean, you may look at that, whatever it may be, whatever your fluffy is. Your fluffy could be your job. Your job's a wonderful thing, but if it becomes your God, it will destroy you. Your marriage can become your fluffy. If you let your marriage become your ultimate thing, if your spouse becomes your God, it will destroy everything. Your child can become your fluffy. If you let anything displace your affection for Christ, then it ultimately will grow into something that will eat you up. And that's what James is trying to tell us with that progression of temptation turning into sin, and then the sin becoming full-grown and bringing about death. It's not death that I die physically. It's death to the abundant life. It's death to the love, joy, and peace. It's death to the joy that God wants to give me. Oh, yeah, you're still saved. But, man, we're not experiencing the abundant life anymore because of the sin. So here's the thing about sin. Sin has got, I mean, it's that moment to Fluffy's cute, plating it, it's wonderful and like that. But then it's got this long-term pain, suffering, and regret. But then the trial, that's whenever I, I say, okay, listen, I know that Fluffy is going to grow into a man-eater, so it's going to be painful, as cute as Fluffy is, but i got to get rid of Fluffy. And then what happens, I've got long-term joy, peace, and growth. Listen, 
if you are exploding in anger towards the people who live with you and you love, then that's a great indication that you're not at peace with God. And when you're not at peace with God, you're not going to be at peace with yourself and you're not going to be at peace with anybody else. So there's your indication right there that something is wrong in your own heart. And listen, some of you right now, you're sitting here and you're listening to me and you're justifying Fluffy because you're the best salesman to you that you know. You can sell yourself on sin better than anybody else can. And you're justifying Fluffy. And here's what the Holy Spirit, I hope, is telling you. Fluffy's going to grow into a man-eater and going to turn on you one of these days. Understand this. Let's go back all the way to Genesis. I want you to understand how in Christ Jesus, sin, temptation has no power and no authority over you. Some of you right now, listen, here, here's, here's the lie you've been believing. You've been believing, I can't stop, and then you fill in the blank with that sin. I'm telling you, that's a lie from the pit of hell. Smells like smoke. Let me show you why. So back in Genesis chapter 1, 27, 28. So God created man in his own image, and he created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. Okay. So then it says, so God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it, rule. Listen, so they have kingdom authority in the Garden of Eden. God gave them, Adam and Eve, kingdom authority. So he says, rule it, subdue it. Listen, rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. What came with the temptation to Eve? The serpent. Now, maybe it wasn't crawling at this point, and evidently it was talking, and that was all okay. That's a whole other sermon right there, okay? So, what does, so listen, you understand this. See, some of y'all don't, don't get this. Please listen to this. Whenever the serpent came into the garden, he came into Eve's turf. She had kingdom authority. He could not possess her, and he could not make her take the forbidden fruit. All he could do was tempt her. So those of you in Christ Jesus, the devil can't make you sin. That The devil made me do it. The devil can't make you sin. You sin because you want to. That's why James is saying, with your own evil desire, your desire going haywire, that's because that's what you want to do. So he comes in there to her turf, and he shows her the forbidden fruit. He said, hey, now, did God really say you can't eat from all the trees? See, there's the temptation. Is that really what, God, is that really what God's word says? And she said, oh, yeah, you know, we can't eat from all the trees. I mean, if we, we can't eat from the, if we can eat from all the trees except the tree of good knowledge, knowledge and, and evil, and we, we can't touch it or we'll die. So she added to the word of God. Didn't say anything about touching. He said, don't eat it. So then she took it. And she ate it because she saw that it was beautiful and it was, and he said, listen, you'll be like God if you eat this. We just read where she was created in God's image. He's getting her to bite into something that God's already gave, given her. She's losing it. So whenever she, here's what I want you to understand. Evidently, when she ate the forbidden fruit, she liked it. Do you know why I say that? Because she turned around to Adam and said, man, you got to have, this is wonderful. You got to have, this is awesome. So it was good right there in the moment. Fluffy is beautiful. Wow, it's a little cub. It's wonderful right now. So Adam took it. He ate it also. And then there's a then the verse just blows my mind because it says, and then they realized they were naked. I'm like, what did you know beforehand? I don't get that. It's like all of a sudden, whoa, we don't have any clothes on. No. 
but their spiritual eyes were open. Did they die right then? Did they just fall over dead right there? Ah, but you see, there was a death that took place, and the death is explained theologically in Romans. It said, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone for everyone's sin. So whenever they sinned, they forfeited their kingdom authorities, what they did. Adam and Eve, they gave it over to Satan willingly when they sinned. For the sin of the one man, this one man, Adam, caused death to rule. Do you see that? Over many. Oh, but look at this. In Christ, though, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his guilt of righteousness. For all who received it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. So we come back under Jesus' kingdom authority. He bought back what Adam and Eve forfeited through his death on the cross. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And there's good news there today, church. Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. And then he says this, don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose your choice. You can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. So, I mean, to illustrate it like this, I mean, it's like, listen, when we're under the authority of Jesus Christ, under his kingdom authority, sin has no rule. But if we choose, if we choose to step out from under that umbrella of kingdom authority, now we choose to come under the rule of sin. That's what we call getting a stronghold. When the devil gets a stronghold on our heart and our mind, and then we're like, I can't fight this sin. I can't win on this temptation. I pray and I ask God to forgive me. Ah, you see, what we need to learn how to pray is we need to learn how to pray spiritual warfare prayers by the authority and the blood of Jesus Christ. If you don't know how to do that, you need to find somebody that's over authority in you that can pray that over you. That that power can be broken off of you. See, here's the thing. Listen, some of you sitting here, some of you that are sitting at home that are watching this right now, here's what your, here's what your problem is. You are fearful. You're afraid to let anybody else know about this sin that you can't get rid of, and you don't want to tell anybody. Do you write something? You're right where the devil wants you in isolation. Because as long as you don't tell anybody else, you don't have anybody else to fight the battle with you, to pray with you, to help you through that, and you're going to stay isolated and stay under that condemnation, that self-condemnation. Look at this. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. And you have been filled by him who is the head over every ruler and authority. See, Jesus has all authority on heaven and earth. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligation. So you had a certificate, your sin was a certificate of debt that was against you. And it says that Jesus has erased it. 
that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers so they have, listen, man, I know I'm way too excited about this, but this is good stuff. You're, listen, the world, the flesh, and the devil, they no longer have a weapon in their hand against you in Christ Jesus. Do you see that? Their weapons, listen, he totally disarmed the rulers and authorities, and not only that, but he disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. So, so whenever, listen, whenever Colossians was written, whenever a king would overthrow another king, he would take that king and all of his treasures, and he would strip that king down, and he'd put shackles on him, and he'd make a big parade back into his city, and he would show that he, that he overpowered that king and all of his stuff, and now it becomes ours. So what he's saying is that Jesus defeated the world, the flesh, and the devil, and then he put a parade on totally disarm them for everybody to see that they have no power over us anymore. So what I'm saying is this, that pet sin that you've got, Fluffy, I want to tell you this, the reason you've got Fluffy is because you have got love and affection for that sin more than you have love and affection for Jesus. Now, you're listen, your heart's arguing with me right now. I know it is. Some of you right now are like, no, I'm sitting in church. That proves that I love Jesus more. I would say the proof of my love for Jesus is going to miss some. My affection is going to be shown in my attitude. When the trial comes, my attitude is going to determine whether or not this is a temptation or this is a test, whether or not I'm going to go down the road of death or if I'm going to go down the road of life. That is my choice, and it's based on my affections. It's that simple. Look at this. Ephesians 2, 6 says this. It says, here's your position in Christ Jesus. It says, he also raised us up with him and seated us, past tense. Y'all see that's already happened. Somebody say amen. amen. Thank you. And seated us with him in the heavens. So you're already, past tense, seated in the heavens with Christ Jesus, who had this parade when he beat the devil with a cross. So then he took his seat at the right hand of the Father, and now it says, you are seated there with him. Do you see this? The devil, the world, and the flesh doesn't have a chance against you when you're in your kingdom authority. All right, some of y'all getting happy now, praise the Lord. Y'all with me now. This is something to be excited about. It changes the whole way that we see temptation. It changes the whole way we experience a trial. See, here's the thing, very simply put, my friend, is when a trial comes into our life and we, our affections are white hot for Jesus, we're praying, we're seeking him, we're worshiping him, we're doing all those things we need to do, then here's what happens. We step back and we know this trial came from God. It was sent. It went through his hand. If it goes through his hand, it comes to my life with great meaning and eternal purpose. So God, you are refining me. You are growing me. And I'm going to take this trial and I'm going to grow in it. I've got some good news to leave us with today. So whenever Adam and Eve, and they were cast out of the Garden of Eden, Here's what God said. God said, we got to get them out of here. 
Because if we don't get them out of here, they'll go back to the tree of life and they'll continue eating for the tree of life and they'll live forever. Do you know that? Go read the end of Genesis chapter 3. That's what he said. We've got to get them away from the tree of life. Look at this. You in Christ Jesus, you will get to eat from the tree of life someday. In the new Jerusalem, here it is. I believe a restoration of the Garden of Eden in, in effect. Then he showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Down the middle of the city's main street, the tree of life was on each side of the river. What he says, we're going to see that thing. Then skip down to verse 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes. That means in the blood of Christ. That's symbolic of that. Coming under the blood, the atonement, the salvation. Who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life. That's total restoration right there. We don't have a rewind button. We don't have a fast forward button. We don't have a pause button. But the Bible shows us what will happen in the future. That is where we're headed. I'm glad I came to church today. I don't know about you. I am thankful for the life-transforming power of the Word of God, moving the Holy Spirit, moving that through our heart to bring transformation. So I'm asking you today, are your affections for Jesus how are they? And are they hot? Or have you drawn dry and cold and distance? How's your attitude? Here's, here's, how's your attitude towards those you love the most? That's going to be a, that's going to, listen, that will help you see where you stand with Jesus. See, because joy, what we've learned last few months in the Bible is joy is an attitude we choose, not contingent on my circumstances, contingent on my relationship with Jesus. So how you doing? Man, is there this, the old time preachers call it this besetting sin, this sin that's wrapped around you that you can't get free from, and you prayed a million times and you feel condemned about that? You tried so hard. The good news is today is that Jesus is going to come to us and say, stop trying to suck the air out of the beaker. Fill it with water. Displace your heart and your soul with your affections for me. And that sin won't be a problem anymore. So all of us struggle with different things. I'll tell you what my struggle is. I'll tell you what the devil gets me. And some of y'all will listen to this and y'all will be like, that's stupid. To you, it's stupid. But you know what? Your temptation, I'm not going to look at you and go, stupid. But here's mine. Mine is discouragement. That's, a, that's attached to my greatest affection and that's a great, that, that to, my, to my greatest fear. And that's where the devil gets us. See, because I have came and preached in church and had wonderful church services. And by the time I got in my truck, 
Before I got out of the parking lot, I was ready to drive the other way and never preach another sermon because of discouragement. Had nothing to do with the event or the way anybody treated me. And it took me years and years to realize that was spiritual warfare coming against me. Now, I'm not going to sit up here and stand up here in front of your day and say, I never struggle with that anymore. But boy, I guard my heart now. I don't get up here in front of you and preach without lots and lots of prayer during the week to make sure that my heart is right. So here's what I'm asking you this. You know what your weakness is. All of us are tempted. You know what your struggle is. And I won't tell you this much. The devil knows. And your flesh is weak. And the, listen, when you are stirring your affections for Jesus, you have got to be vigilant to guard that part of your heart from that temptation. If your temptation is pornography, then you need to do that and you need to set up parameters, other people to check on you, accountability partners, other people to watch you, get it out and don't ever look, look at it in the computer in private or whatever it is. If yours is alcohol or drugs, stay away from those people in those places where you become vulnerable. Do you see that? Whatever it is, you've got to also be careful to stay away from that. So let's all stand this morning and do a little bit of praying before we head out of here. We talk about accountability problem, problems, accountability people all the time. They are a problem sometimes, but a good problem. <clears throat> My accountability partner, partner is, is sitting right over here, standing there now. But you know I me, mean? Patrick and I, we sit down and we share openly with each other what our struggles are. I know what his struggles are, and he knows what my struggles are, so stay away from him and don't ask him. <laughs> you know what some of mine are. I just told y'all when we started off. Sanctification, thank you, Lord. But it's good to know that somebody's going to check on me. If you're alone and nobody's checking on you, oh, and you're struggling with something, as long as you stay alone, you keep yourself vulnerable. So a while ago, I talked about praying spiritual warfare prayers, and some of y'all have never, don't know what I'm talking about, and you think that there's something that it really isn't. Let me tell you something. It's about taking your authority in Jesus, your position of authority and praying from that place, seated with Christ Jesus in the heavenlies. So right now, let's pray. That's all right, man. It's all right. All that tells me is that the devil does not want us doing what we're doing right now. When distraction comes in, that's because we're doing something right. I've been in dead churches where nothing ever went wrong and nothing ever went right. So right now, I want you to think, so as you've been listening to this, the Holy Spirit's been moving in your heart. So right, some of you have listened to me, and man, you've got that one sin you know how many times you, you feel guilty about even bringing it back to God. You prayed every way you know how to pray. 
So, Lord, here's what I want you to pray. Lord, lead me to someone who knows how to pray, that can pray for me. Would you pray this prayer? God, search my heart. Show me any sinful ways in my heart. See, some of you, your spouse has been telling you what you're doing is wrong. Your children have been telling you what you're doing is wrong. Your parents have been telling you what you're doing is wrong. And your pride won't let you hear it. Because you keep justifying and coddling fluffy. So God, search my heart. Destroy the pride inside of me, Holy Spirit, that, that won't allow me to hear. God, I just want to lay my sins before you and not coddle them and justify them anymore. All of my sin comes under the blood and the authority of Jesus Christ. So I take my position in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. I take my position in the victory of the cross of Christ. I put myself under the authority of the blood in the name of Jesus. God, stir my affections for Jesus. Help me to grow closer to him. So God, we come as a body of believers and we pray for our nation. We pray for our president. We pray for our congressman. We pray for all the governmental leaders, our governor, all the way to our county leaders. God, we're just praying, Lord, that you will give them wisdom, discernment. So as we come as a body of Christ and take our position in the authority of Christ, we rebuke all evil spiritual forces over the nation of America that are influencing our nation, our media outlets. God, we pray that the truth will come to the surface. God, we, we come against greed and power. We rebuke it in the name and authority of Jesus that is just destroying our nation. God, we pray for peace. God, we know the enemy is stirring up dissension and division in our nation. And we come against that by the power and the authority of Jesus. We bind and rebuke that away from our nation. God, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And we pray 
God, over our election coming up. We pray for peace. God, we know that you set the kings and the kingdoms. God, prepare our people for peace during this time of election, O oh Lord. So I want to encourage you today when you, as you leave out of here, you, those of you who pray, pray for our nation every day. If every Christian in America would pray every day, man, what a difference that would make. We have got so many angry, mad. I mean, every four years it gets a little bit more heated. Those of you who can remember the last 20 years, it seems like every fourth year it gets worse. We need to be praying now more than ever. So I'd encourage you to pray as much as you can for our nation. These months ahead is very, very important. So next week, the sermon may not be very good because we're going to look at one of my favorite verses in the Bible. I say that because when I get all excited about a verse like that, sometimes I mess the whole thing up. So pray for me this week. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. I can't say that without just feeling that in my soul. Every good thing that you got, that you value and that you love, it came from God. Mm. That's a wonderful truth. God bless you guys. Good to see you. Hope to see you next Sunday. Have a great, blessed week.